Welcome to Our Weird World. I'm your host, John Henson, and uh, got feedback from the new little bit we added last week. Seemed pretty positive. Um, so, you know, going to keep doing that uh, this week. Uh, uh, a very classic uh, country favorite. And uh, look, if you know me, uh, it should not surprise you that that bit is going to go back and forth between country and hip hop because. Those songs are generally the most ridiculous. Uh, I'll throw in some rock and some pop in there uh, from time to time. But, um, you know, I I think I I just find it funny that, um, you know, at least at least especially in the hip hop community, you know, it's the, the persona more often than not is I'm this tough guy. I'm. Uh, I don't know why he has that weird accent, but he's just, I'm tough. I'm from the streets, dog. And then like country is just like, I'm a real man. I've worked on the farm and I get my hands dirty and all that. But then they write poetry. It's poetry is what it is. And it's very silly at times. And so that's why I'm doing it. It's just fun. All right. It's another little uh, escape. Uh, another thing that I wanted to address is just like, you know, I record way ahead and some people have asked, you know, why do you, why do you do that? Um, first I'm autistic. I, I don't know how that directly impacts it, but I'm sure it does some way. Um, but also like this show is not a platform for my hot takes on current events because I mean, who am I? Like I'm nobody. My opinion doesn't matter. Your opinion doesn't matter either. Just so you know, but you know, so like, I don't need to record weekly to then comment on the latest mass shooting. You know, I don't need to start every show with like, well, my hearts and prayers are with the victims of this shooting in Texas or California this week, whatever. You know, I just, just, that's not, that's not what this show is about. Um, you know, this show is just a reminder just to provide an escape from your current daily awful life whatever awful thing is going on, whether it's directly or indirectly, you know, whether you're having a tough time personally or just the world around you seems to be crumbling. This show is just an escape to remind you that things have always been bad. Terrible things have always been happening. All right. So take comfort in that in a weird, twisted, dark way. And that's all this is. And so I can record, I could record a year ahead if I wanted to. I, I might, I might get that far ahead. Depends on how my schedule works out. I don't know. Um, but yeah, so, so that's that. All right. And with that, let's get into this week's story about serial killer, Randy Kraft. Randy Kraft was born on March 19th, 1945 in Long Beach, California. Um, Although his father wasn't around much because he worked long hours, Randy still grew up in a relatively normal, loving household, which is rare for serial killers. Um, By the time he was in high school, Randy had become a really conservative, hardcore Republican, and he actually planned on running for senator once he was old enough. And I mentioned that because of this next little bit of information that is very pertinent to the story. Um, Although he dated various girls in high school, many people suspected that Randy was gay. 
and they were right. Um, Randy went on to enroll in Claremont Men's College and then joined the Claremont Reserve Officers Training Corps, where he attended several pro-Vietnam war rallies. But Randy quickly began to realize that his staunch conservatism was really just a subconscious way for him to suppress his homosexuality and be more like his parents in order to just make them happy. Because, obviously, um, that's what happens a lot. Um, In 1964, after realizing that the conservative Republican lifestyle was not for him, he came out, he was fully embraced his gayness. Um, He got his first boyfriend, worked as a bartender at a gay bar, and started making trips out to Laguna Beach and Huntington Beach to have casual sex with other gay people, because apparently that's that's where they hang out. Um, he tried to come out to his family by bringing male friends to gatherings, but either like his family was just so oblivious that they just thought, oh, Randy's just making some friends and he's bringing them over, or they were just completely in denial. Uh, by 1967, Randy registered as a Democrat and actually started campaigning for Robert Kennedy. At the same time, he also began struggling in college and ended up having to take an extra year to make sure that he could graduate. But once he did graduate, he enlisted in the Air Force and began supervising the painting of airplanes at Edwards Air Force Base in rural Southern California. Uh, that year, he finally just directly came out to his parents and not surprisingly, his father was not super thrilled about it. His mother was pretty, was a little bit more understanding, but they, they were not on board with it. Uh, Randy also came out to his military superiors who were definitely not okay with it. Cause you know, the whole don't ask, don't tell thing. Um, and so eventually he was discharged for medical reasons in 1969 and then returned to work as a bartender. Uh, the next year in 1970, Randy met 13 year old Joey Fancher in Huntington beach. Uh, Joey had just run away from home and Randy offered to let Joey come live with him for a few days while Joey tries just figured everything out. Um, of course, like, and I don't, and I don't know how it jumped to this level. I, there's no real indication that it would, but the first night that Joey spends the night with Randy, uh, Randy just drugs and rapes this kid a lot. And then the next morning, Randy went to work and just let, and just let, let like left Joey there to just escape and alert police, which like I get that's a common rookie mistake for rapists, right? Um, however, because Joey, it was you know like they kind of found in the questioning because Joey had voluntarily taken the drugs, and because police conducted an illegal search of Randy's apartment, they couldn't charge Randy with anything, and so he gets away with it. Another classic case of great California police work. But after that close call, Randy was just like, Hey, I can get away with anything. And so he just starts killing people maybe, or maybe it was just like, I need to start killing people so they don't like run away and tell the police. Um, all of the men that Randy killed were between ages 13 and 35. And each murder was pretty similar. Uh, each time he Randy would lure the victim into his car, offering alcohol or just a ride wherever they needed to go. And then once inside, Randy would just forcefully give them a lot of drugs and alcohol. Maybe not forcefully. Maybe he was like, yeah, man, we're going to have a good time. And then their passenger was like, yeah, let's do it. Let's do all the drugs. So after his victims were incapacitated, Randy would bind them, torture them by either burning them with the cigarette lighter in the car 
or he would castrate them, which that's extreme, or he would just shove foreign objects. Let your imagination run wild right up their butts. I don't, I don't know. And he would also, you know, for good measure, he would rape them. And then once he would done, once he was done, he would either strangle or bludgeon them to death. And then he would dump the bodies near various freeways uh, around Southern California. Uh, on March 29th, 1975, Randy then lured uh, two teenagers, Keith Crotwell and Kent May, into his car where he gave them beer and Valium, which, great combination. Not that I would know. Um, Crotwell, <laughs> I really don't. Uh, Crotwell and May's friends, Percocet, really, is just a great, like, that's, if, if I'm going to do, like, a hardcore uh, painkiller or some sort of muscle relaxer or something like that, like, Percocet, the way to go, all right? Valium, like, eh, it's fine. Like, I think I took a Valium once prior to my wisdom teeth. And like, it was pretty sweet. Like, I was super relaxed. I didn't even feel the IV go into my arm. It was great. All right. But, um, or no, maybe that was, um, oh God, what, what's the name of it? Um, diazepam. That's what it was. Um, yes. Also great. But like, Eh, lore tabs, not, not great. Like they make me confused. Why am I still talking about drugs? Um, <laughs> back to, back to the story. Uh, Crotwell and May's friends watched as Randy then just kind of drove the boys around the area and eventually stopped and pushed, uh, the unconscious Kent May out of the back seat and onto the pavement and then drove off with Keith Crotwell and Crotwell's skull was found over a month later near the Long Beach Marina. Now, because so many kids had seen this happen. Randy was questioned by Long Beach police. Um, and Randy eventually admitted to providing drugs and alcohol to the boys and then dropping May off. And then he said that he took Crotwell to a freeway where the car got stuck in an embankment. And then Randy explained that he left the scene to get help. And by the time he returned, Crotwell was gone. He had no idea what happened to him. Now, detectives thought that Randy was lying because he was. But when they tried to file murder charges against him, the Los Angeles District County or District Attorney's Office rejected those charges and cited a coroner's report saying that Crotwell had drowned, which eh, maybe, maybe Randy had just beaten him unconscious, threw him in the harbor, and then he drowned. But like, come on. Uh, Randy, after escaping another close call with police, decided to lay low for a few months before he abducted 22-year-old Mark Hall in San Juan Capistrano. There, he decided to, um, and this is this is like trigger warning extreme. Um, he tied Hall to a tree, stuffed dirt down his throat. Then he took the cigarette lighter out of his car, like ready to go, held Mark's eyes open and burned his eyeballs with the cigarette lighter. Then he castrated him and stuffed his own wiener into his own butt. All right. Not now like Randy probably stuffed his wiener into Hall's butt too, but he cut off Mark Hall's wiener and then stuffed Mark Hall's wiener into Mark Hall's butt. That's crazy. Like <laughs> that's, that's such insane behavior. And <laughs> I, I don't know why I'm laughing. It's just a defense mechanism. Cause this is awkward, honestly. And it's terrible. Um, by the late 1970s, California police were, wholly confused because not only were they dealing with every dead body near a freeway that Randy was responsible for, but there were two other killers 
Patrick Kearney and William Bonin, who we discussed in episode 88, or Kearney we discussed in episode 88. Uh, William Bonin we'll get to eventually. But um, they were also dumping bodies along the freeways at this same exact time. All of the, all three of these guys were labeled as the freeway killer, mostly because California police lacked the creativity in addition to the vitally important ability to actually catch these people. It's just like, oh yeah, it's the freeway killer. Like they thought, maybe they thought it was just all the same guy, which wouldn't be that out of, you know, out of reason for it to be the case. But also like, guys, my brain is so fried right now. All right. I'm not going to lie to you. I went to the driving range today. I'm going to derail the whole show with this tangent here, but bear with me. Uh, I went to the driving range today. It was very hot outside. And even though there was a little bit of a breeze and even though I was under a uh, shelter, it was very hot and my blood sugar was pretty low. And, uh, you know, I had some water, but man, I, I got pretty woozy and, you know, started to, to white out uh, a couple of times there. And I think that I have brain damage now uh, because of it. Because I just, I can't think, I can't concentrate. I can't think of things. My words aren't coming to me. So that's, that's why. All right. Now, you know, all right, but whatever, it's fine. Um, By 1983, back into the story, 1983, Randy had killed more than 60 people in California, but he had also killed people in Oregon and Michigan at least that's what later police attributed to him. We really only know about the people that he killed in California. Um, But in the early morning hours of May 14th, 1983, two California highway patrol officers watched a Toyota Celica swerve and change lanes pretty erratically down interstate five near mission Viejo Uh, officers pulled the car over and Randy got out threw a beer bottle onto the pavement and just raised his arms in surrender. Like just the easiest catch catch of a serial killer probably ever other than like a serial killer voluntarily turning themselves in like uh, John Wayne Gacy did just like Randy just pulls over and he's like, okay, you got me, you guys way to go. Um, while one officer performed a field sobriety test, the other officer found a passenger uh, in the car slumped over and covered by a jacket and several beer bottles. Um, that officer quickly realized that that passenger was dead and found evidence that the man had been choked. Now, Randy was initially just charged with drunk driving. And I guess like, I don't know if they just thought that the dead body in the passenger seat was just like a weird coincidence, but it wasn't until they found more alcohol and tranquilizers in the back of the car that they thought, oh, maybe Randy did actually just kill this guy because, I don't know, maybe people in California drive around with dead bodies in their car all the time. I don't know. Um, they also found a binder in the trunk containing a coded list of 61 terms and phrases that police later connected to each of Randy's victims. So that's how um, we got this number 60. Uh, Two days later, Randy was officially charged with 16 counts of murder, two counts of sodomy, and one count of emasculation, which I don't know what that means, probably the castration part. Um, However, police ultimately connected him to 67 murders, 22 of which the victims still have not been properly identified. And Randy wasn't really about to cooperate. 
his trial began five years later and included over 150 witnesses and over 1,000 exhibits of evidence, which included Randy's own hair and fingerprints from the murder scenes. And somehow, and maybe it was because they had to go through all of this evidence, this trial lasted for more than a year and ended up being one of the most expensive trials in Orange County, California history. <clears throat> Here's the thing. After three days of closing arguments and 11 days of deliberation by the jury, I don't know why it takes that long to deliberate. I mean, maybe they had to go through and deliberate on all of the counts. Like, you know, it was, I mean, it was 19 official charges and maybe they had to go through all of them. But also like, how difficult is that? Hey, charge number one, did Randy kill that guy? Yeah, he did. Absolutely. There was his hair. There's his fingerprints. Randy even said he did it. So yeah, guilty, whatever. Death penalty. Let's go to the next one. That shouldn't take that long. I don't know what I'm missing about jury deliberations, but in cases like this, they shouldn't even need to go into a whole nother room. Like the judge should just look over at him and be like, do you guys need to go deliberate? And then the foreman should just be like, no, we got this. He's guilty. Let's move on. Like that's it. That's as fast as it should take. I don't, I don't know what's going on in California. Um, but Randy was found guilty of all 16 murders, but he was only found guilty, uh, of one of the counts of sodomy. I don't know why. And the, uh, count of emasculation. Uh, he was sentenced to death on November 29th, 1989. And, the California Supreme Court upheld that decision on August 11th, 2000, after 11 years of appeals. And as of today, or at least as of this recording, uh, Kraft is on death row at San Quentin State Prison. Uh, California is not executing anybody anytime soon, so he'll probably just die in prison. Um, and this dude, can, like, he continues to just deny any of these charges against him. Um even though there's a ton of evidence saying that he did it. Uh, back, you know, like in the story I mentioned, like we didn't really know a whole lot about the, the Michigan and Oregon murders. And that wasn't entirely true. Um, the, the port, like he killed, he killed at least four people in the Portland, Oregon area between 1980, 1982. Um, he had traveled up there for business and, you know, obviously while he's staying up there, you know, he's still doing the same thing he was doing in California, um, where he would just find people, kill them and then, you know, draw, dump them over, over a freeway. But in general, uh, you know, most of his killings, came in California. Um, the reason that they know he killed people in Oregon and Michigan was because of that binder that I mentioned where it would have like the name of the person. He didn't have like the person's actual name, but it would be like, you know, Portland blood or, uh, you know, whatever, you know, and, and it would kind of coincide with what police found at the scene. And so, um, that's, that's that other than that though, Let's see what we learned today. Mm -hmm. 
What did we learn? Number one, Randy Kraft was an angry gay man who was angry mostly about being gay. Um, and that's why he killed a lot of people. Uh, over 60 people. He was officially connected to, I think, 67 murders. Could have been a lot more than that. But uh, yeah, just, uh, just, just all that kind of stuff. Number two, uh, he along with William Bonin and Patrick Kearney were considered the freeway killers in California because, uh, at least, um, Randy would just do horrible things to the genitals of his victims and then dump the bodies along the sides of freeways, which ballsy move because they can easily be found. Like, I mean, if you're going to like really do a murder, like dump the body where they're probably not going to be found. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I mean, the fact that three serial killers operating in the same area at the same exact time all did the same thing, you know, and maybe one of them started it. And then the other two were just like, hey, that's a pretty smart idea. If I do that, maybe they'll just all connect it to that first guy. Who knows? Um, but yeah. And then number three, uh, Randy, he, you know, he had accomplices and I didn't mention this. So this is kind of some new information here. Um, but he had some, he had a couple of accomplices along the way. Um they didn't necessarily um, get in as much trouble, um, but there were several accomplices along the way, mostly people that he was romantically involved with. Um, there was, oh, what's his name? Do, 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 do. Where's his name? Where is his name? Uh, Jeff Selig was one guy. Um, even farther down, a guy named uh, Jeff Graves, another guy named Bob Jackson. There's another accomplice. They think there was another guy um, because of other blood and semen samples that were found at the scene of the crimes that didn't match Randy's or the victims. And so um, a lot of these were guys that Randy was romantically involved with um, other, other gay fellas. Maybe they were angry or whatever, but um, Randy certainly did not act alone, but he was the mastermind behind all of these killings. I'm sorry. This week's episode really, really did not feel like a good episode. I was, I was very all over the place, very scattered, um, did not present the information. I could record, re-record this, but pfft, whatever. Um, you, the, I, you got the gist of the story. Like you're not, no one's using this show as a source for their research papers. Let's be honest. You're just here. Like I said, like I said at the beginning, this is just to be an escape. All right. And you got to escape. All right. You got to imagine a, a murderer cutting off the wiener of a victim and then stuffing said wiener into that victim's own butthole. And don't, don't act like you didn't envision that because you did. And if you didn't do it the first time, you're doing it right now. So, you know, that's what that like mission accomplished, honestly. Okay. Like, and, and you know, look, I'll try to do better for next week's episode. All right. When we talk about, uh, our final serial killer of the month, Robert Berdella. Look at that transition already turning it around. All right. Um, but yeah, Robert Berdella, not the most, um, prolific serial killer, but who boy, uh, we, we, this, we got a lot of details about how he killed the people that he killed and it's going to be pretty extreme. All right. So there's your trigger warning. If you're not into it, you know, if, if this week's visual was too much next week's is going to be pretty extreme. 
So maybe you just want to, you know, skip next week and come back for uh, our October episodes where we're doing all the spooky themes again. Maybe. I don't know. Um, But yeah, that's going to be it. Thank you for listening. Keep telling all your friends and uh, stick around for our poetry at the end of the show and keep it weird. Now, honey, you can't blame her for what her mama gave her. It ain't right to hate her for working that money maker. Band shuts down at two, but we're hanging out till three. We hate to see her go, but love to watch her leave. With that honky tonk, badonka donk, keeping perfect rhythm. Make you want to swing along. Got it going on like Donkey Kong. And woo-wee, shut my mouth, slap your grandma. There ought to be a law. Get the sheriff on the phone. Lord have mercy. How'd she even get them britches on with that honky-tonk? <laughs> but donkey-donk. God, this is the stupidest, dumbest thing ever. <laughs>